Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Well, we turn our spotlight to the Denver Broncos and taking that spotlight is our friend Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette. You can follow him on social at Chris Thomason, T-O-M-A-S-S-O-N. Chris, thanks for joining us. Obviously, this has been a, a disaster start for the Denver Broncos. If they were to lose this game on Sunday, uh, they have Kansas City after that, then the bye week, and then Buffalo. I mean, they would be staring a 1-8 and eight start in the face if they don't win. 2-6 and six is slightly better. But it's not about necessarily the wins and losses in the standings. The playoffs have gone by the wayside. It's about how do you avoid, uh, to paraphrase the baseball metaphor, 53 guys, 53 cabs. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Two weeks ago, Sandy had me on, and I said my uh, cell phone was low on power, but I am well-charged and ready for you guys today. (laughs) So uh, to answer your question, well, uh, you know, there's some pride on the line. You know, a lot of players are talking about uh, we got we got to win a home game. I mean, they're zero and three. Yeah, loyal fans turn out, and I did a lot of page flipping in the record books last night. And uh, the Broncos, in their entire 64 year history, have never started zero and four at home. So, yes, uh, they, yes. They don't want to do that mm. now. Yeah, uh, it, it does seem to be a low point, and and I guess that would tend to make this upcoming game. Uh, less relevant, but we're, we're hearing so much, uh, at least outside of Dove Valley, about trade possibilities. Uh, Bill Barnwell wrote a piece today for ESPN.com in which he uh, reviewed all of the 32 teams and uh, which players on uh, the various teams might bring a number one draft pick. He could only find one Denver player who would fit that description, and that player obviously would be uh, Patrick Sertan. Uh, even, he said, in the case of Justin Simmons, as a safety who will soon turn 30, he probably couldn't get you a first-rounder in any kind of deal. Uh, Sean Payton publicly seems to be saying, for whatever reason, that he doesn't foresee a lot of action between now and October 31st. Will this game this week and its outcome have any bearing on whether they're active or somewhat well, somnambulant all, at the trade deadline? <laughs> it's all semantics with Sean Payton. I mean, he's like, well, we'll listen to the call. Right. They call. Right. Wink, wink. wink so, wink. Uh, yeah. yeah. So if you text another team and say, call me. And then they call you. <laughs> then I suppose you could say, well, yes. you know, they, hey, they, they called, called me. Deal. Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't refuse. That's right. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, no, they're obviously going to be uh, working on the phones. Whoever makes the initial call uh, will have to uh, subpoena phone records to find <laughs> yeah, that out. That's right. Well, you're but, in charge uh, of that. You're, you're in charge of that. Hey, I, I'm, it, it, now that you mentioned Peyton and – the things he says that kind of make you roll your eyes sometimes. He he said a couple of things this week about Marvin Mims that, uh, one, he was uh, dying to break out. Well, he's got to get on the field for more than 23% of the snaps to do that, 
and that was the percentage in the last game at Kansas City. And the second thing, he said something about there being a log jam at wide receiver. What's he talking about? Well, it's very interesting because he's the guy who calls the plays, but when he talks about Marvin Mims, it's almost like he's talking about somebody else who's calling the plays. Yeah. You know, his alter ego. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, Mims is 10 catches for right. 24.6 yard average this season. And in the last two games, he has one catch for four yards. And it's one thing if, you know, they tried to throw long to him a couple times against Kansas City, but he had no targets. So that was uh, right. very right. bizarre. So, hey, at least he is uh, handing the ball off to Jaleel McLaughlin. Maybe we're going to have to wait to finally get 10 carries out of McLaughlin. But, uh, hey, at least he's having games of like seven or nine carries. The Broncos are the only team in the NFL that have surrendered 200 points already. So all that's great with the offense, but at the same time, you're not going to score your way out of this. So, uh, yes, Baron Browning is getting healthier. That said, does Baron Browning alone make a difference on this defense that you think is going to be a noticeable change? Well, you know, they did. uh, Everybody's striving to find positives uh, at times. And, you know, the defense was much better, obviously, against Kansas City. And uh, Baron Browning gives them some more depth at the outside linebacker spot. Obviously, they had Ronnie Perkins, who was plucked off a practice squad. He was their uh, their rotation guy at that spot against the Chiefs. And Browning's better than he is. So, should help uh, the defense. And, uh you know, I mean, the stats are skewed certainly by that uh, Miami meltdown, which you touched upon, you know, 70 points. Yeah. And, uh, the only team to score more than 200 on the year, by the way. Rushing <laughs> yards and, and uh, 700 plus yards. Yeah. So, uh, you know, who knows? You know, maybe uh, they keep working hard and maybe they can get up to 29th in defense instead of 32nd. So we'll see. <laughs> I'm trying to find a silver lining in here, and in some rating systems, the Broncos have actually performed reasonably well on special teams. And uh, the irony there is, although he did return a kick for a touchdown, that Mims has actually mishandled the ball, not as a receiver, but as a return man. Multiple times. Multiple times. And yet the Broncos... uh, Football Outsiders DVOA metric ranked 17th on offense, as you might guess, dead last on defense, but as high as second behind only the Jets on special teams. Uh, is yeah, is that some kind of silver lining? Does anybody talk about that? Because uh, that's that's a huge jump, not only from last year, but where the Broncos have been generally since – as far back as 2016 was the last time they were any good on special teams. Well, you know, Mims doesn't return that kickoff against Miami. It's 70 to 13 instead of 70 to 20. That's right, but it helped their ranking, helped their special teams. Yeah, I think special teams, and there actually was a casual conversation yesterday involving that uh, among some reporters. And, you know, I think special teams is kind of a – 
difference maker. Special teams, you know, can't make up if for everything a else is equal, right? Or can't make up for a terrible defense, right? But it it's laments. I mean, you know, you 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 can't be horrendous in one area and ex, expect to. Uh, Special teams going to bail you out, but, right. you know if you're exactly. okay on both sides of the ball, it can make a difference. Right. One of the challenges with that, well, of course, is and I, I is a little bit of the statistics sample being small, right? Marvin Mims has returned uh, five punts, five. I mean, that's thirty second in the league. Uh, nobody returns kickoffs because kickoffs mostly uh, fly out of the end zone. Uh, Mims returned five of those. That's good for sixth in the league because only two players have returned even double digit because they, the touchbacks are happen all the time. So, yes, yeah, small sample size. When you look at the average yards per return, the Broncos look great behind Mims, but it's it's 10 total kicks. So, at the same time, there's there's something of a mirage there. I think Riley Dixon has been rather inconsistent. I think Will Lutz has been more or less fine. But but you're right. That's a difference maker if, you know, you're not losing by multiple touchdowns simultaneously. The Broncos have to find a way to get into close games where that might be a difference maker. What do you think needs to change more? You talked about the handoffs to McLaughlin, a little more of the running game. Sean Payton has admitted that he abandons that too quickly. Do you think that will change this Sunday against the Packers? Well, I think uh, the most alarming thing was how much the offense regressed against Kansas City and how much Russell Wilson regressed. Because Russell Wilson was quietly having a solid campaign. He was forcing the... NFL and passer rating at 106.1, and then he comes in and he was a disaster against the Chiefs. So if his play is if his play spirals downward and he starts looking like the Russell Wilson last year, the Russell Wilson against the Chiefs, you, you know that's alarming because I think the defense the the defense obviously is not good, but with some players coming back and adjusting more to new things and what have you. I mean, I think that the defense can uh, at least get from maybe bad to below average, but the offense has to uh, continue to play like it was playing earlier in the season. And when they took shots to Marvin Mims, that certainly helped the offense. And it's bizarre how they've gotten away from that the last couple of games. I know the Broncos will certainly deny that they consider any of this for public consumption. Anyway, they'll deny it. But at some point when you're looking ahead to next year, there is a performance related aspect to Wilson's status. And this was worse in Kansas city last Thursday night than any game he played last year. Statistically, it it was his worst game in a Bronco uniform and may have been, if not the worst game, one of the worst games of his entire career, his performance could certainly lead to his being removed from the lineup. But what about, again, uh, though he played better in the previous games, the common thread throughout the season is he gets hit a ton every week, week after week after week after week. What about the idea that there is an injury risk there in the sense that if he is seriously hurt, his salary for next year becomes guaranteed. So maybe it would make sense in the guise of protecting him for the future, even if that's not really what they're doing, to consider replacing him 
because if he continues to get hit like this and suffers a serious injury, they're on the hook for, what is it, $37 million Mm -hmm. next year. Well, I think, you know, as this season goes on and once they're, like, officially eliminated or whatever, obviously it'll depend on how Russell Wilson is playing, they're going to have to kind of uh, think about, well, are we going to potentially cut ties with Wilson after this season? And if they are in agreement that they're going to do that, then I think, yeah, you, you, you pull them, you, you don't play them. I mean, it's like the Raiders did last year with Derek, Derek Carr. Carr. They, right. they knew he was right. gone, so right. they just put him on, you, you know, the, they just put him on ice, and that, that was it. So, and and the same we're, guy, we're the same yeah, guy who so, replaced Carr might replace Wilson. That's yeah, the other we'll tie-in. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're going to be having serious meetings. Obviously, it's a colossal cap hit releasing Wilson, and and you know, if they're going to be high in the draft and they are going to take a quarterback, you know, maybe they think Wilson one more year and he's the guy who uh, they can have, we'd have to throw the young guy right in the fire. If not, they have to decide, okay, are we just going to go like the Indianapolis Colts route where they were bringing in, you know, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, you know, these one, these one season type guys. So as, yeah, if the losses continue to pile up, they'll obviously have to start thinking about Wilson's future. There's no doubt. We're talking with Chris Thomas of the Denver Gazette, and, and some of this, of course, uh, sits on Wilson, and some of it sits on his receivers. Sandy's talked about how the receivers have underachieved, specifically Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. The Broncos are second to last in the league with only 19.7 receiving yards going to tight ends. And now Greg Dulcich is having injury issues as well. He's played in the last two games, but he's had to leave the last two games. Uh, is there a fix there? Do the, the Broncos believe there's something that they can do with Dulcich to make him at least get him on the field for a whole game at a time, or do they need to shut him down again? And if so, uh, how do you find more guys to get open for Russell Wilson to throw to? Well, it's trending that Dulcich probably goes back to IR, so he misses four more games, which would be eight total, more than he missed last season with the hamstring, which was seven. But uh, they don't have... Uh, much in the tight end room i'm surprised that they haven't uh, tried to bring in a tight end with more of a receiving pedigree because they don't have that with the guys they have and adam troutman chris manhurts and nate atkins on the 53 man roster i mean on paper it looks like they do have depth at receiver but uh the first string guys haven't been overwhelming. I mean, we've talked about Mims and Brandon Johnson's another guy who's had some moments, but he's not getting any touches lately. So, you know, at one point they're going to have to, that's why I certainly wouldn't be surprised if either Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy is dealt by the trade deadline, because then they can get them off the books and play some of these younger guys without, you know, creating friction in the locker room, potentially by, benching one of these veteran guys well the the problem there is sutton has from all indications decent football character as however you may define that but he's he's making far too much money and with judy it isn't so much the contract it's both the output 
and the willingness to put out um, uh, our former colleague at a different time and place, Mark Slareth, um, after last Thursday night's game, blasted Judy, among other things, saying to say he was trotting through his routes all night would give a bad name to trotting. He wasn't even trotting. He was not putting out. Again, this is a subject the Broncos will never address, but is it possible, because he seems to be a locker room cancer, that Judy would have less value on the trade market than even Cortland Sutton would have in spite of Cortland Sutton's oversized contract? Well, if you're trading for Cortland Sutton, you're just doing it for this season because his his big uh, – 10 million plus contract next year is non-guaranteed and there's no way right. playing no guaranteed money left salary. after this year. So yeah. if you're trading for Cortland Sutton, you're trading for this year. If you're trading for Judy, his contract of 12 million plus is guaranteed next year. You're trading for the future and you're thinking that this guy has a much higher ceiling than Sutton does. And if he gets into the right situation, mm-hmm. he can blossom. So, you're looking at two uh, different situations with those guys. He is Chris Thomason. Give him a follow on Twitter at Chris Thomason. It's T-O-M-A-S-S-O-N. And check out everything he and the team of the Denver Gazette are covering. Terrific coverage of the Denver Broncos, uh, especially right now when it feels like uh, a bit of a slog. So maybe as they take on a rested Packers team, they will find a way to get a win. Make sure to keep up with Chris for all the latest. Thanks so much. I really appreciate all the insight, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. All right, thank you. Sandy, when the Broncos take on the Packers on Sunday, that will be the Packers' second game in 24 days because of a scheduling quirk. They are very well rested, and the idea that Jordan Love has not played well, which is true, but you've had a lot of time to prepare for the Denver Broncos, whose defense has been abysmal. True. Uh, but, These are two teams that have had long layoffs, is what yep. you're telling me. Because the Broncos have had the mini-buy right. since the Thursday night yeah. game with Kansas City. And a very strange schedule. Here's the has, deal with the Packers. Yeah, the Packers not playing it basically three Packers weeks. are a different team with Aaron Jones at running back. He didn't yes, play. Yes, they are. And had he played in the last game, they would have won the game. And they'd be 3-2 and two right now and singing a very different tune uh, than they would be that they are at 2-3. and three. It, and it, he will play on Sunday. Aaron Jones this week said, I prefer a later buy usually, but I needed it now. So thank yep. God it came when it did. Right. Everything happens for a reason. That's right. That reason might be beating the worst defense in the NFL in the Denver Broncos. Oh, but the Broncos are so good at stopping the run, though. Uh, they're not good at stopping anything, Sandy. But the quarterback position still looms large. It's that money figure. And how much How much have the Broncos already gone down the road of the decision? Have they already made it? We'll talk about that next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook's the book's next, book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, 
Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code MILEHIGH. So bet with the best and use promo code MILEHIGH this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sandy, the situation with Russell Wilson is coming to a conclusion. It will happen, I think, after this year. I think the Broncos have already made the decision that they will designate him as a post-June 1st cut. And therefore, maybe, maybe. I, I cannot envision a situation where they don't. I really can't. Well, no, no, I'm not saying he'll stay with the team. I'm saying no one's gonna if trade you for wait him. that long, yes, you can spread it out, the, the dead cap money hit over two years rather than one, but his contract next year becomes guaranteed. Yes. Uh, and he's not playing for you, but he's getting his $37 million. And that's the question that I think is interesting. So at what point with Wilson, and, and the, the numbers have been poor, there, there are ways you can look at it to say that Wilson has not been disastrous and he's been sort of a middling quarterback if you look at uh, – Total he's exactly expected points I added, be, though. But he's, he's he's among the given top, the play of late, bottom eleven or twelve quarterbacks, lower third of the league. That's where he is, lower third, and that's uh, he's the Broncos than are last going year, to move on. But it's they're going to move it on. Just is, he's not a top twenty. It hasn't worked anymore. out. Wilson is clearly in decline. I don't think all of this decline is entirely Wilson. The line is not good. His receivers are vastly overrated. He has no tight ends of which to speak of to catch. I, I don't put this 100% on Wilson, but the simplest way to put it at this point is it didn't work, period. It didn't work. And, and that's work. exactly what Josh McDaniel said to Derek Carr last year. And that's all you have to say about Wilson publicly. You're not castigating him. You're just saying, hey, it didn't work. There was a coach last year who wasn't right, but we're not sure this coach is this right. This coach doesn't not seem say right that. either, though he's a "Quote unquote proven winner," uh, it isn't. It isn't appreciably different, and I think the worst is yet to come. And I think not only have the Broncos decided to move on from Wilson after this year, I think that whether it's to protect him and they can couch it that way, or for performance-related reasons, they are going to conclude after the next two games that prior to the game in Buffalo, after the bye week, they're switching quarterbacks and going with Jared Stenner. It has to be. The rest the, of the that's year. what has to happen, that's, right? Uh, and I think they've decided that, too. Wilson's injury, if he is injured during the season, as you pointed out, you know, it's next year's salary becomes guaranteed. Right. You have to make this move. Now, I don't think it's fair to throw Stidham in, nor I think is it entirely fair to just say this whole start is Russell well, Wilson's fault. But you think Stidham's going to refuse? But uh, no, but I but I think I think the bye week is the right choice. Look, right. Stidham's not going to help you against the Chiefs anyway. You're losing. It's not going to help well, against the Bills either. Right. You're not. But you're not going to do it on at the a same time. You week. have to do it on the bye week. Right. Uh, you finish this game, and unless Russell Wilson looks like he won't, and he won't. I mean, I, I can't even envision the numbers. Uh, 400 yards, five touchdowns in both games, something well, like that. No, but he hasn't had a game like that here no. or even close. And to he doesn't. And he doesn't have the receivers either to do it last either. Year this year. Not. It's not only just no. him. He doesn't have the receivers to do it either. He doesn't have the line to do it either. So I. I think that's the play. Well, you. You. You hope he doesn't get hurt. You cross your fingers and hope he doesn't get hurt against either Green Bay or Kansas City. And then the Russell Wilson experiment comes well, to an end. We're not talking about Wilson in a vacuum. And it is true, you you made the point during the break, quarterbacking play this year has subpar. been surprisingly subpar. That's the best word for it. Uh, 
last week, week six, the average EPA per dropback was negative. Negative. That's how bad the quarterbacking yeah. was. And right. I, I'm not saying it was all the quarterback's fault. Offensive lines are bad around the league, even with some supposedly good teams. You get one, or, even on teams with good offensive lines, you get one or two injuries uh, to the to the wrong people or or the right people, depending on your perspective. You, your your offense stops functioning. San Francisco, Trent Williams goes down. They're hurting. Even though he comes back, he's playing hurt. And Miles Garrett kicks his butt. They look like a different team. All right. Then McCaffrey goes out, and Samuel goes out. Well, they, hey, Brock. Purdy goes 12 for 27, and I, that's not a knock at Purdy. Any quarterback would have gone 12 for 27. Anybody, including Patrick Mahomes, with those three uh, three guys like that out of your lineup. The, the Eagles lose the best right tackle, arguably, in the NFL in Lane Johnson, and this goes back six, seven, eight years. Every time Johnson gets hurt, doesn't matter who the quarterback is, he can't play. And the Eagles he instantly look mortal. They look not only mortal, they look bad, okay? Lane Johnson, that's it. Lane Johnson's their most valuable offensive player, and we love Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. and we love his wide receivers. We love the Eagles team, the way they built their organization. They're the anti-Broncos. They've done everything right that the Broncos have done wrong the for the last the seven or eight years. Collapses, but and the whole building's in Lane trouble. Lane Johnson, who's a right tackle, goes down, and they lose to the Jets, and they get... They're up 14 to three and they give up the last 17 points unanswered in that game to to the Jets, even the the Broncos didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. In losing to the Jets. What I'm saying is you've got this year, five quarterbacks who you can say are playing better than expected. I'll give you the five. I doubt you'll disagree. Tua has to be one, right? Stroud, the rookie, yep, sure, okay, has been by far the best oh, of the yeah. rookie quarterbacks. Then you got Goff, mm-hmm. who's picked up right where he second left off. Second year in a row, by the way, of being really quite good. Well, it was the second half of last right. season and all of this season, so it's basically almost a full year that he's been one of the premier quarterbacks in the league, better even than I think he was in Los Angeles relative so. to other quarterbacks. Yep. So you got Tua, you got Stroud, you got Goff, you got Purdy, obviously, and you got Matthew Stafford, who is, uh, for a 35-year-old coming off an injury-riddled season, playing very nicely, even with Cooper Cup I out. think you have to throw and Josh Allen could, in there. I think Josh Allen is one of those Tier 1 guys, along with Mahomes and Herbert and Burrow, who have not played their best but they're tier one guys. They get exempted. All right. Okay. We know that That's they fair. can play. But Allen is Allen almost blew the game the yeah. other night, and he did blow the Jets game. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, You're he right. made one great throw at the end that won him the game. That bailed him out. Uh, he in effect bailed himself out. But but after that, you, you get the better than expected guys. And you get the tier one guys who you know are real good and they'll play better than they played so far. After that, here are the categories as outlined by Mike Sando of The Athletic. Not as bad as feared. (laughs) How about belonging to that category? That would be Zach Wilson, Mayfield, Sam Howell, and Dobbs of Arizona, who's starting to come back there. Right. All right. Yeah. Uh, Then you have the two guys... uh, 
awaiting the next step, and they're almost in with the tier one guys. You know they'll play better. Hertz is one. Uh, Lawrence is the other. Then you have the environmental concerns <laughs> are paramount, and that would be uh, uh, Prescott, who's up and down. Uh, it would be Geno Smith, who's up and down. It would be Lamar Jackson, who's up and down. Uh, then you have the patience, please, guys. Well, one of them is Bryce Young, and the other is Anthony uh, Richardson, who is out for the year yeah. now, but has shown flashes like yep. he might be able to play. They really like him, and with good reason. I don't know if they can keep him healthy. Maybe you'll have to do jujitsu the way uh, uh, Tua did the offseason last year so. to learn how to fall uh, so he doesn't get hurt all the time. And uh, then – more than a third of the quarterbacks, you're concerned, maybe for different reasons, about Love, Pickett, Watson, Russell Wilson, Ritter, Mac Jones, Garoppolo, Carr, uh, Fields, Daniel Jones, and Tannehill. Fields is kind of in a different category because uh, he's shown flashes even against non-Bronco defenses Ooh, yeah. in recent weeks. Of course, he injured his thumb, and we don't know. It's his right thumb. It's his throwing hand. We don't know when he'll play again. But all those guys, you're wondering with most of them, are they really starting quarterbacks in the NFL anymore? And even in a bad year for quarterbacks, yeah. they're at the bottom. <laughs> in a bad year for quarterbacks. Uh, so uh, I, I I think that's, that's where you find yourself. And, you know, I, I think – in terms of even making the playoffs, you've got to have a quarterback who's overachieving, who's a tier one guy who will come around eventually, or somebody like a Hertz or a Lawrence who you know they'll, they'll play better. But when they're missing certain things mm -hmm. or they're a little bit hurt, and we don't know if Lawrence is going to play tonight on a short week on a Thursday night game because of his knee injury. Game we don't know if he's going to play. Textbook game but time when, decision. When, when yeah. they're right, and when they have the, the supporting cast around them that they need, we know they can play. But I, I'm talking about, what, 11 guys out of 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL yeah. who you can live with? How many teams make the playoffs? 14, right? <laughs> yeah. So it basically, if you don't have one of those 11, you're at best a fringe playoff contender. The Broncos are far, far from that. Far from that. And uh, when you when you look at some of the scoring around the league, I mean, you bring that up. Look, Baltimore is still considered at least maybe on the periphery of being a contender. Oh, sure. They've scored four more points than the Broncos. Yeah. Four. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. Think and about that. you know that. what? You know what? As few points as they've scored in DVOA, which, again, you're ranking teams. It's all relative. Well, yeah, they're plus 42 in uh, point differential because they they're, got a defense. They're 10th, though, in offensive EPA. But you're right. The strength of the team is defense. Yeah. They're second defensively. And they're 15th on special teams, middle of the pack, to the point that was expertly made by Chris Thomason a few minutes ago. Special teams only matter if you're at least decent. Yeah. They're not different on offense and or defense. They're really not. They they can if if you're you know thirteenth on offense, twelfth on defense, and eighth on special teams, you can make the playoffs. 
top 10, top five on special teams, you can make the playoffs. But you have Denver second on special teams. They're one of the three worst teams in the league. You have Chicago 10th on special teams. The Bears are one of the four worst teams, five worst teams in the league. You have the Raiders who are 11th on special teams. The Raiders are one of the bottom 10. And that's also one of the, the, the metrics on special teams, truthfully, for the analytics. I think they need more refining because I think the problem is they take into account, you know, return yards and things yes. like that. But they, that is not as impactful anymore because they're so infrequent. That's right. Especially so, on kickoff. Yeah. So you, you could value it and say that they're second in, in that. But look what their total added EPA is on the year. It's it's still minimal. You're talking about. I would say those those people play fantasy football, right? right. Uh, and, and great, cool. You you drafted the uh, you picked the best defense in the league in your fantasy football team, and the rest of your team is not very good. You win in a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Maybe your defense is better that week than the other, and you got some more fantasy points. But you win a lot of games. No, special teams is kind of like that. It's great to be good at special teams. Not saying you shouldn't. But it's rarely a differentiator. It's rarely, when you're talking especially about the return games, it's rarely the difference between winning and losing. When you break one for a touchdown, yes. But the fact that you're maybe averaging four yards more a return than the other team, it looks good on the rankings. But in the grand scheme of things, you're not winning that many more football games because of that. And a quick point, I think we mentioned this the other day. The top teams in DVOA, Here's where they rank on offense, okay? That's, yeah. From San Francisco at the top, second. Detroit, fourth. Buffalo, third. Miami, first. Kansas City, sixth. Baltimore, tenth. Philadelphia, seventh. Jacksonville, 13th. Seattle's in there. Number nine, offensive DVOA. The Rams are number five. The Rams don't play good defense, and they're terrible on special teams. New Orleans. Uh, you know, very good on defense. Then you get toward the middle of the pack. If you're seventh ranked in defense and eighth on special teams, okay, you're 20th on offense, but you'll be a decent team. You're a fringe playoff contender. But the way we look at it right now, as far as the playoffs are concerned uh, in the NFL, I, I don't think there's really all that much question in either conference as to which teams are going to make the playoffs. If, if if you have a winning record at this point, there's a good chance you'll be in the playoffs. If you're 500, you're fringe. If you have a losing record of any kind, you're basically cooked. And the biggest you're basically cooked factor, for the playoffs. You want to simplify it and not look at advanced metrics? It's points. Go look at just the points scored That's right. per team on That's the season. That's right. And you want to find out who's who's the best teams? You'll find out it syncs up and pretty well. And who scores most often? The teams with the best quarterbacks, right. generally. Generally. But you go to the just average points per game. That's all you have to do on offense. I'll show you a bunch of teams that are I'll making the playoffs. show you the teams that will be in the playoffs. It's just that simple. You take your top 12, top 14, 15 offensive teams, almost all of them will be in the playoffs. The Denver Broncos, uh, not likely to be one of those, but uh, despite a couple early bumps uh, in the road as nothing's derailed the Colorado Avalanche. They find themselves with 11 goals in three games. Will they get a lot more against the Chicago Blackhawks who visit for the season opener? We'll talk about that next on My Life Sports.
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. It's your little update on Major League Baseball. The Phillies and the Diamondbacks in the NLCS playing their game three right now, one to one in the bottom of the ninth. The scoring plays a, a Guriel scores for the Diamondbacks uh, on off a double, which you know you can live with. But the Phillies only run Bryce Harper scored on a wild pitch in, the, in both runs mm, uh, uh, in the seventh inning. They find themselves uh, some uh, about the Phillies. I think the Phillies yeah, are the best team. It, They're certainly the hottest. It, right it, it there is something about it. It's it's not just and the they're the one team runs this postseason. Yeah, they're the one team that has home field advantage because of the yep, nature of the crowd. They do. There. They really do. And uh, and and the the power there is is comical. Of course, later tonight you will have uh, Texas hosting Houston. In which Houston home won field last doesn't night. seem to mean anything. Yeah, road yeah. teams won all three games thus far, but it feels like holding off Houston. The rate it, it seems crazy that if you don't go up 3-1, I don't feel like you can win the series. But for me, if the Rangers yeah. don't win tonight, I think they're going to. It'll I, be tough sledding. It's hard to win two of three from the Astros if you've just coughed up two. Here's the thing you don't want if you're Texas. You don't want a game seven. Uh, I know they say Scherzer had decent stuff last night. He was just rusty. But he'd be slated to pitch game seven <laughs> in Houston. I, I just don't want I that I wouldn't guy. like their chances. I wouldn't like their chances at Game Seven. I have, yeah. you know, I Scherzer's a great pitcher, but he he's been inactive for a long time. And even Bochy said after the game last night, you know, he he didn't have a slider. He wasn't sharp. Uh, his fastball was fine. He he had good stuff, but he couldn't locate it. He couldn't throw a slider for strikes, and they just lit him up. And Houston will do that. Houston is an excellent offensive team, and Houston doesn't care if they're down two zero. Nope. And even at 3-1, Houston is thinking, we got two of the next three at home, and, and we won't keep losing at home, and we just have to win one in Texas. Uh, and, and even at 3-1, I agree with you, because Texas does not want to go to a seventh game. And no. if it's 2-2, it's going seven. Uh, it, it <laughs> if it's 2-2, two, two, yeah. it's going seven, even, and maybe yep. six in favor of the Astros. Right. Yeah, that's where it feels like. So it feels like for Texas, an immensely important game. They were 50-31 and 31 at home. Uh, this year, that will be uh, Jose Arquiti won't take the mound for Houston. Andrew Heaney for uh, yeah, Texas. pitching matchup probably does favor Houston a little bit. Uh, maybe a little, yeah, a little it, it probably does. So that'll be a fascinating one, and yep. we'll we'll see what happens. Of course, well, Texas has been with, able to uh, score runs even last they night, have eight been. five game. Uh, that, that's runs. the one thing. If you were Texas, I think you're probably excited about is because uh, that game could have been a route, but you were able to work your way back. Sure. And uh, the other part that matters in the postseason, Texas's outfielders can. Fly. Should oh, have been great. nine to five, except Leonardo Tavares yeah. robbed a home yeah. run in dead they, center field that he had no business getting to. I remember one uh, uh, many, many years ago, the miracle of 1969 when the Mets beat the Orioles, and somebody asked Weaver uh, as the series was getting away from the Orioles, and the Mets won the series four games to one. After losing the first game, they won the next four. And somebody asked Weaver, Do you think the Mets are a team of destiny? And Weaver didn't miss a beat. He says, no, I think the Mets are a team with some fine defensive outfielders, <laughs> all of whom made circus catches in that series. The AG catches in center were the ones that people remember, but Ron Svoboda made the famous play in right field to Rob Brooks Robinson uh, in, in game four, and that fielding play won the series for the Mets. That one fielding play and AG's two great catches in game three, and uh, Cleon Jones in left field was uh, excellent in that series defensively. Um the three outfielders, uh, 
you know, two of the three, uh, all three of them really came up with timely hits, but they were great defensive. And that's right. And I look at Texas as, you know, they're an odd team because they play in such streaky manner. Uh, and yet they're a team, you know, for a fact, they're a team with fine defensive outfielders. Right. Uh, and, and they're really good all, all the way around. And that's been the key because their bullpen has not been great. Their hitting's come and gone, but they've had the great defensive outfield all year long. And uh, Seager is a fine defensive shortstop who hardly ever makes errors. We'll keep an eye on that for you, of course, but we turn our attention to the Avalanche tonight. They will host a late start, 8.30 puck drop yep. here locally, national television on ESPN. The Avs look to go 4-0 and against a, I guess you could say, division rival. It hasn't been a rivalry in a while, no, but no, uh, really. but at least, you know, one of the original six. It always And it feels like, look, let's be honest, uh, Blackhawks fans travel. There will be a lot of red in the stands, even though this is the home opener. There'll for be the a lot Avs. of Bedard jerseys. Yeah, a lot of uh, what's his number eighty-eight. Uh, I think I think that's right. And uh, uh, there'll be a lot of eighty. There'll be a lot of that. Yeah. So that, so we know they travel well. The the start we've talked a little bit about, obviously Georgiev, but uh, Miko Rantanen five points in three games. Oh, yeah. three He's goals. Good. Uh, he has looked absolutely electric and while it's hard to envision a year where you get more than 55 goals that he did last year even in this day and age unless you're maybe Connor McDavid it might be that Rantanen is that dude I mean we've talked yeah. to, we've talked about it ESPN he might lead the league in considers goals. him the yeah. best winger in hockey yeah, he is uh, he has the package he, he has the hands he's, he's got skating winner. he's got the physicality yep. you know he can score the pretty goals he can score the ugly goals he yep. can score the gritty That's goals right. and it seems now that after, you know, it happened sort of mid-time last year. Rantanen was always very good. But sometime last year, he realized, wait a minute. I might be the best scorer in this sport that's not Connor McDavid. And he's, right. he stopped, best goal scorer. He stopped yeah. seeding, I think, to Nathan McKinnon and decided, wait, well, there's no Batman and Robin here. We got two Batmans. Right. Right. No, and, and you know, he, he's, he's durable. Uh, knock on wood. Uh, McKinnon, uh, the last two years has missed a fair number of games. And it seems to me when McKinnon, especially when McKinnon's not in the lineup, Ren has kind of evolved into a leader. Yes. And, you know, he speaks uh, when necessary and his words are usually the correct ones on always, as far as I can tell, always the correct ones, you know, and they aren't always words of praise. You know, he called the team out, remember, a couple of years ago, yeah. the Stanley Cup year, when the Avs got off to uh, a rather slow start. In fact, the interesting thing about 3-0, and the Avs, in their history in Colorado, 7-0 and start in 1920, but that was the pandemic year, so nobody yeah, remembers right. because it wasn't a full season that they started 7-0. and Patrick was first year, 6-0, and and finished with 112 points, 52-22-8 but lost in the first round of the playoffs in seven games of the Minnesota Wild. Very good team that year. Started 6-0. Even the 95-96 Avs won the Stanley Cup, didn't start 6-0, and 3-0 uh, even. And the 2001 Avs, who led the league in points, dominated the league, won in the playoffs, won the Stanley Cup, didn't start 3-0. Reno's pretty good. Yeah, it's like, especially with three games on a row. It, it sounds silly to say because I'm not really convinced it is, but I mean, is it important to start four and out? Does it does does that and give you maybe enough momentum 
to really get a phenomenal year cooking, or does it really matter? I, all that it much? may not matter that much, but I'll tell you what: the ass are chasing all of last year until the very, yeah, very end and that's when they I was finally thinking. tracked Dallas down. You don't want it. Dallas is good. Now, I think the Avs are clearly better than everybody else in the division and even in the conference, with the exception of Las Vegas. But Dallas is for real. Dallas is a real yeah, good are. team. They're a top five, top six, top seven team in the league. There's no doubt about it. And you don't want to fall 10 points behind Dallas this year because if you do, you won't catch them. I don't care what time of year it is. If you're 10 points behind them at any point, you won't catch them this year. And the Avs, to catch him, barely catch him last year, had to finish 31-7-4 in the last 42 games to catch him. I, I'm guessing they won't finish 31-7-4 this year. You know, you know you're the better team tonight for the Avs, and the, yeah, it's exciting as the home opener and everything, but this is the kind of one where, look, the, the Avs have bigger objectives. They want to go win the Cup again. Yes. And that means you have to kind of say, look, we just got to take care of business. We're yeah. at home. We're the better That's team. Right. Just get the job done. And listen, Saturday is... To me, it's 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 Carolina. It's not a conference game. But it's an intriguing that, matchup. That's, it's an intriguing matchup. Have fun with it. It's not must win. There are no messages. You're not going to play Carolina in the playoffs unless it's the Stanley Cup final, and you'll be thrilled to get there, and you won't care who you play if you get as far as the Stanley Cup final in the Avs position. That's for fun. Tonight, you're playing an opponent you should beat. And an opponent that was really apart from the playoffs, the last team that beat you last year and had no business whatsoever beating you. We'll see how the Avs handle that, of course, in the opener tonight. The Nuggets, by the way, finished their preseason slate out in L.A. against the Clippers, and uh, the Broncos will keep focusing on them as they have a critical game because there's only so many wins potentially left on the schedule. This is one of them. Thanks to Chris Thomas of the Denver Gazette joining us. And they're a one-point underdog. <laughs> uh, and they're under. That was the thing, right? Look, put it this way. The Broncos they, have gone They 0 may and, not be favored again. The Broncos That's have possible. gone 0-3 at home against underdogs. Well, that can't happen this time because Green Bay is the favorite. Green Bay is favorite. So by one point. you can't lose four straight to underdogs at home because you're the underdog now at home. But they've never, Chris Thomas, a great point. Broncos have never in their history started 0-4 at home. First time for everything. Never. Hopefully that's not the case. Thanks for listening, all of you out there, whether it was FM, HD, MileHighSports.com, or those of you got ahead of it and got the free Mile High Sports app. Thanks to Chris Thomason for joining us. Follow him on social at Chris Thomason. Thanks to Danny Bailey for making everything work. We have to step aside. We had a lot of sports to watch. There's baseball. There's the abs, nuggets, all sorts of stuff. So we're going to step aside. You don't have to, though. We'll be back tomorrow for Sandy. I'm Sean. This is My Life Sports.
go what you say Maybe next time I'll remember